And I just said, hot take, God is not the universe. You would have thought I lit a dumpster fire in front of the Pentagon. (laughs) So whatever networking I had done with folks that are spiritually exploring alternate orthodoxies, aka heterodox or heresies, whatever relationships I had with them, those bridges were getting burned, like with that one tweet. So there are a lot of people who are like, how do you know? How dare you dishonor people's stories? This is Joshua S. Porter, and my book, Death to Deconstruction, is out now. You can get a copy from Amazon or Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Powell's, wherever it is that you prefer to buy books or audiobooks. For the next few weeks, I am going even deeper into the waters of deconstruction by having conversations with people who, like me, have plenty of the great building blocks for a classic deconversion story abandonment misogyny hypocrisy racism doubt disillusionment and failure but all of them continue to follow jesus and i'm going to ask them why later in this series we'll be hosting a Q&A session so you can submit your questions at joshuasporter.com/question writing a book is hard but publishing one is harder If I can be sort of vulnerable for a moment, I don't really care about book royalties or followers, but I do care about what the books say and getting to write more of them. So whether or not things go well is sort of up to you. If you care about that sort of thing, here's a few ways that you can actually really help. First, buy Death to Deconstruction. That one's obvious. Buy a copy for someone you think might like to read it. There's a free small group study guide on joshuasporter.com, and you can host a get-together and have everyone there buy a copy. Two, tell other people about the book. Post about it on your social media outlets. Text a friend. Bring it up constantly in conversation. Thirdly, Leave Death to Deconstruction a good review on Amazon.com. Leaving a review is fast, it's free, it's easy, and it goes a long way in supporting the book. You're hearing this right now and you're thinking, oh, he doesn't need one from me in particular, but yes, you. It only takes a second and it does a lot. Fourth, listen to the Death to Deconstruction podcast and leave it a good review on the Apple Podcast app. This helps other people find the podcast, which helps other people find the book. And then finally, you can follow me on social media for updates about the book, the podcast, speaking engagements, more writing, and more of that sort of thing. Following accounts may not seem like a huge deal to you or me, but the industry suits care about that sort of thing, so that's another way you can help. That's it. Buy a copy of Death to Deconstruction, tell other people about it, leave the book a good review on Amazon.com, and the podcast a good review on the Apple Podcast app, And then follow along for more updates. And look, I get that there are a lot of things out there asking for your attention, so I do not take this support lightly at all. Thank you. My friend Evan Wickham was a worship leader who became a pastor, but not before some painful undoing of the theology with which he was raised. How did he not undo all of it? Here's the story. Uh, some, geez, 20 years ago, close to 20 years ago, I was uh, traveling through the West Coast and I stopped to see my then girlfriend, soon to be fiance, later to be wife. And she was having dinner at a restaurant called Sherry's with a handful of friends. And they all started talking about um, a musician called Evan Wickham. In fact, they were debating 
there was a an argument going on because Evan Wickham made worship music. Um, so did his brother. And together they both came from, and you're going to correct me, I'm sure, but it seemed to me at the time, this is what I inferred from the conversation. They both seemed to come from the same church world from which my then-girlfriend, soon-to-be fiancé, later-to-be-wife, and her friends came from, which was kind of the Calvary Chapel church world. Um, oh, yeah. And they all knew about uh, Evan Wickham and his brother and their music, and they all had opinions about either one. I was completely lost. Uh, <laughs> so on the ride home, someone played me a- an Evan Wickham uh, song or a record or something. Someone put in Evan Wickham music and I listened to it. And I remember saying, this is not a made up story. I remember saying like, wow, that guy sings real nice. <laughs> that was my comment. <laughs> oh, um, well, that means a lot coming from you. It's true. I really did say that. Uh, and then you don't ye- blow smoke. Years go by. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I would have said, oh, man, that guy sings bad if that's what I thought. But I actually said that guy sings nice. A million years go by, and uh, I was working in a church, and then Evan Wickham came to work at that church. Or someone told me before he got there, hey, Evan Wickham's going to come work at our church. And I says to myself, I says, oh, that's that guy. I remember that. Um, And then there he was (laughs) in the flesh. And then across the years that followed, Evan and I went to seminary together, became friends, worked together in the same kind of network of churches before. He went to plant a different church. I went to plant a different church. But we've stayed in contact with one another, that kind of relationship where every now and then you think you see something or read something or hear something that makes you think of one person. And you're like, oh, i got to send this to Evan Wickham. And <laughs> I'm assuming vice versa because every now and then I get a random text from Evan that says, hey, this thing. Yeah, I had to find out after the... It sounds like you got a preview. Uh, I found I got a full-on review of Showbread after the fact. And oh, you did? <laughs> <laughs> I, found, I found out about your extensive legacy, and mm. I have since, ever since been thoroughly impressed. I find, I find Showbread fans almost, almost every... I don't travel that much, but people seem to love you everywhere. Oh wow! Wow, that's that's putting it generously, but you know, there's not that many of them, but they're yeah, spread they're, out they're, across. I mean, not them. everyone, everywhere. Not not everyone, but sure, yeah. There <laughs> are there, naysayers. Every, yeah. The th- the thing about uh, Evan and I that I think made us kindred spirits was that, and I d- I don't mean to characterize you, but when we were in school together, um, I think that we were both different kinds of button pushers in our classes mm. that we took together. Meaning that's that. Fair. I would often start arguments and uh, good natured arguments or I think I think rousing intellectual arguments, but you know, they, they would often become heated and usually with everyone being uh, amicable and kind and every now and then someone would get ticked, but most of the time I think things went really well. And Evan was the same way. In fact, it seemed to me that you would get a thought going in your head and I could almost see the cartoon like sprockets <laughs> over your head. <laughs> And he couldn't let it go until there was some kind of perceived resolution on his end. He'd be like, no, and pushing the issue and people would be arguing back with him. And I thought, thank God for this guy, because now these classes will be interesting and I won't be the only one <laughs> causing trouble. Oh, I, I have since regretted the way I have. I, 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 I think I pushed too far <laughs> in some of those moments. I mean, I, I, I yeah. Hogging, hogging time, trying to trying to make things make sense in my own mind. I felt like most of the guys in the I felt now looking back, most of the guys and women in that cohort 
were like, uh, come on, enough already. <laughs> <laughs> they might have been from time to time. I'm sure with both yeah. of us, but I appreciated it. I think other people did too. Um, but if you were to go backward in time, uh, I don't know, like circa, this would have been circa 2005 that I first heard about Evan Wickham and the fact that he's a dude who makes worship music. Obviously, you weren't just that, but where did you come from? What the heck? How did mm. you become this dude who at one point was being described to strangers as the guy who makes worship music to Calvary yeah. Chapel fans? To the guy who is a seminarian, a pastor, a church planter, what's the? Yeah. How'd you do that, <laughs> Nick? <laughs> Good. So yes, you are correct that it seems your wife and myself and my wife and my brother we all came from the same Calvary Chapel cloth. Uh, and honestly, I've never, I haven't been appreciative of that over over the decades since kind of expanding my ecumenical palette. But uh, I feel like now I'm, I've never been more thankful for the, the simplicity of my upbringing. You know, Calvary Chapel came out of the Four Square Movement, which was, you know, kind of a non-denominationally feeling denomination, Pentecostal, uh, loving the Word, loving the Holy Spirit. But Calvary Chapel was a unique, uniquely independent breed that sh- that shot out of the Foursquare movement um, by virtue of Chuck Smith and his autonomy, his fiery independent spirit was like, no, I I want to plant a church based on the Bible or whatever. Yeah, and and he did, and it, but it, it brought a lot of that Foursquare potency with him, and a lot of that included a specific kind of modern eschatology that involved a rapture of the church where the faithful blip out of observable existence. And that was the hope that I grew up with. In Calvary Chapel, kind of everything we're leading forward to is this moment when Jesus evacuates his people. And, you know, I, I've, I've heard, you know, theologians say for years, your view of the future shapes your, your life in the present profoundly. And, I've just become convinced that um, if your view of the future involves you getting evacuated before everyone else experiences pain, uh, then your concern for people experiencing pain is severely attenuated. It's a lot less. And, um, and your ability to empathize with the culture around you and feel like you're a part of it. You're actually, we're actually made for this earth. We are earthlings. Uh, that 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 very Christian anthropology. This is what we are. We are humans made to be on Earth, living with the Creator who created us for creation. That was distant from me growing up, mm. and and in in my twenties, I started to feel like, oh, that's not supposed to be distant. And I remember distinctly, um, I was leading worship at a Calvary Chapel where I was on staff in San Diego. In my, this is this has got to be sixteen, seventeen years ago and maybe less, maybe 12. And Ken Ham, good old Ken Ham, was uh, preaching that day at our church. And I love his spunk, his passion, his spirit. <laughs> and I don't, I, I, he did say something that didn't sit well with me at the time. And he was speaking to a church of a lot of 
young, educated folks who go to San Diego State University, UCSD, Point Loma Nazarene, where they're learning about creation. They're learning about science and learning about how God is inextricably involved with creation. He's not creation, but he's involved with creation. And, and, uh, and he's given us our faculties to, to, to do science as worship. And, and Ken Ham said this thing to a room with many scientists that were in it, and I felt for them in this moment when he said, you can be a Christian and believe in evolution, you'll just be a Christian with an authority issue. Wow. And, and he said it basic, you know, basically taking with his right hand what he just gave with his left, you know. Um, yeah. You, basing, basing his young earth creationism in, in, in biblical authority rather than an interpretive decision. And I was just like, something broke inside of me at that moment. And I'm like, man, I grew up with this very specific interpretation of creation. And, and then this very specific eschatological vision of where everything is going. It's all going, creation is gonna be blown up. <laughs> And, and caring about it doesn't feel as central to the Christian project. And, and those two bookends, both creation and the devastation of creation, those two things were like bookends that were squeezing me out of, of my family, I felt like. Mm. And, um, but I, but I, I knew at that point, I had another friend at that time who was writing songs. You, you mentioned worship music and all of that. I was, par- I was part of a Christian, you know, kind of a record label that, not record label, publishing company that would write songs that people sing in church. And I was at a writer's retreat with one of these other worship leaders who has the same story as me. He's like, he married at 19 in 2000, same age, same year, and grew up in a mega church. And he's feeling the same gut reactions against these really niche and seemingly obscure and non-Christian, Christian interpretations of reality. And, and he let go of Christianity altogether and became a famous kind of deconstructing podcast guy. And, and I felt myself, we were friends at the time, at least acquaintances, and I felt myself very drawn to his trajectory. I'm like, oh, I, I wanna let go. Um, maybe I'm getting ahead of, where you want this conversation to go. No, no. Have you always been like that? Have you always been uh, theologically inquisitive, theologically minded to the degree that you're describing? Are these things that kind of, are these issues, things that um, awakened your theological mind, so to speak? Or was this always you? Were you always the Calvary Chapel guy pulling at a thread in the back of your brain? Yeah, I feel like I was all, I I always want to know why things are. I was the most talkative kid in class in first, second, third grade. I'd get in trouble all the time for talking too much, for commenting on the teacher's comments and interrupting people. I'm still, a th- I want to I be in the mix and, 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 and know why we are doing what we're doing. And so, yeah, I, 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 think, I think I've always been curious and I'm still curious. I'm curious why people leave the faith. I, I really want to honor their journeys as much as I humanly possibly can because often it's because of serious wounding and they have no place to find healing other than outside the church in their minds. And so I like, I'm so curious about that. Yeah. Um, Did that curiosity get you into trouble in your context when you were asking those questions? Post that Ken Ham sermon, were you vocalizing these concerns and were people like, oh, uh-oh, 
Here goes yeah. Evan. Yeah, Facebook was not, a, it's never been a fun place to, <laughs> <laughs> it's never been a healthy place to like have a spiritual journey. <laughs> so um, yeah, I remember our, our mutual friend, John Mark Comer preaching on, you know, how to respond to false teaching. And he's like, don't do it on Facebook. <laughs> never debate the Bible on Facebook. Uh, unfortunately, I did a lot of that in my, you know, really hard searching years. Um, you know, I'd say things, really rude things like, like, hey, Christians should get a special license before they interpret their book of Revelation. I would say that. And I knew that there were pastors who just love Jesus, who love their Bible and love their churches. And they grew up with a certain interpretation of the book of Revelation, and they're just trying to unpack it as faithfully as they can, and believing in a rapture, believing that God loves the world. Like, and, they're, and I'm ridiculing them. Yeah. Um, um, because I'm learning that there's a more historic way to read a book of the Bible, and I'm pointing a finger at these folks that are reading a very modern niche, in my mind, incorrect way. And it's just not loving or helpful. And so, yeah, there's, I got in a lot of trouble, mainly because I was in, still am dealing with immaturity, but I was much more then, um, um, you know, sub, subtexting all kinds of people. Who are you talking about when you accuse the church of this, Evan? Obviously, you're referring to them. And it's just very immature and unloving. So, um, yeah, that's the answer to that question. And your, I'm assuming that your constituency on social media is likely made up of fans of your music, people that you are in the right. same kind of world, like my wife and her friends that are aware of you from this uh, this career that you've had as a musician and also a Christian, a, a Christian musician, famous Christian. Y yeah, so people just loved worshiping God and they appreciated my simple devotional songs to Jesus, my most circulated song was just hallelujah jesus hallelujah jesus you're an everlasting god beautiful you are like what church from any age would not jump in on that lyric um that's for that's just simple I, and i was in people's minds they're like what's happening to evan he's overcomplicating right. it much learning has driven evan mad you know <laughs> um which which i was quick to remind them that quote is from a pagan roman ruler who was wrong about jesus <laughs> so so um but even that was unloving to remind them of that um much learning had driven me arrogant is reality because yeah. knowledge puffs up love builds up but knowledge puffs up so, so i had to move to portland so i had to move yeah, to portland that's yeah, the end of the story yeah. yep you had to go where the progressives and the liberals were and fully give yourself into I had your to fate. go I had to go where I had to go where like guys like you were and John Mark and Gary Brashears mainly uh, because I needed to submit to a community that could speak to me when I was venting my daddy issues is what I wow, was doing yeah yeah so so that's what I'm, I needed the obviously the level of self-awareness is really striking and you've had years to process this stuff and I'm sure lots of spiritual formation and people continuing to speak into your life what I want to know is when back when you're in that place where there's someone on a similar trajectory that you are or were on at the time and they're the, the road forks, they're going off the exit and yeah. you feel, as you described, almost like a gravitational pull, like there's something uh, interesting or romantic or at least desirable about, oh man, what if I took the off ramp as well? Did you feel 
um, any kind of even what you might describe now as subconscious, but any kind of pressure like, oh, man, if I go, you know, I already have these people that get mad if I say something about the rapture. I, there's this idea of the person I'm supposed to be based on uh, not just like people who listen to your music, but I'm sure your family, you know, um, you, you got siblings or, or parents that are they're They're not just part of the church game. Your dad, he's a, was your dad a worship leader as well and a pastor. Yeah, was, still is. Yeah, still is. Yes. He's like 68 or whatever. So, man, and does he, I've never heard your dad sing. Does he sound like you guys? <laughs> does your family sing similarly? My mother is the singer. Um, my dad is like the producer guitarist guy. Oh, wow. Interesting. Um, yeah, he can, he can carry a tune, um, but he's, he would never, he would never plug himself in as a soloist. Interesting. Okay. But yeah. these are all people that know you, love you, and I'm sure to some extent are lovingly concerned for you, if not just concerned for you. Did you feel a sense of like, oh, man, I can't bail. People are expecting something of me, or did that not matter to you, really? Oh, no, that mattered. I've always been highly relational, and I think this is a two-way street. I don't think anyone can believe alone. So... I was feeling if I leave, I'll be alone. If I leave the faith, if I actually pull apart a piece of this thing that is a non-negotiable piece, I will be alone. Uh, I felt that. Uh, and, and, and I think, I think everyone's supposed to feel that. I don't think that's denigrating the value and validity of a belief system because we don't you know we don't evaluate a belief system by counting noses on how many people believe it it's on the merits of the belief the truth itself the truth claims and so um yes relationally it was horrible terrifying to think of the fallout um and honestly i felt that moving to portland when we decided to leave san diego and kind of really leave Calvary Chapel in a way. I remember being at a Calvary Chapel pastors conference the year I moved to Portland. I flew back down to lead worship for a bunch of Calvary pastors. And the first thing a couple of them asked me at the coffee shop was like, hey, Evan, why'd you leave Calvary? And I'm like, I didn't know I, I, didn't know I did. I just, mo I literally moved my house address to go on staff at another non-denominational church <laughs> um, where there's a lot of Calvary, ex I don't even know if X is it, former people that were on staff at Calvary's that are on staff at Solid right. Rock, Westside. And so I don't know what I did. I don't think I left. I'm, I don't, what does it mean to leave Cal, a, a place that doesn't even have a formal membership? So, um, <laughs> so that, was, that was hard for me. Like, there's this idea of, you know, he's, he's, he's hopping the tracks and he's other. And, and I didn't want to feel that, even just moving to Portland. I remember sitting with Bob Goff, who's like the happiest guy in the world talking through this very thing. It was the year I'm considering moving to Portland. And he's like, Evan, just go for it. If anyone asks, don't worry. Just say, Jesus has something to show you on the other side of the tracks. Jesus is there too. Um, and so that gave me peace. And when I, but when I considered leaving Jesus, like that was never really a thing. And I think most people who deconstruct feel that way, honestly. They feel like maybe Jesus isn't here. Maybe he's over there. Right, yeah. You know? And so that gave me hope, like, oh, Jesus is pushing wineskins open. He's doing new things all the time. 
But there was this, there was this sense in me that um, I think Jesus doesn't give up on his family either. And so where is the historic family coming from and where are they going? For me, it was, it was that. You, your, your wife and I and my brother grew up in a non-denominational megachurch culture. I mentioned Chuck Smith because he's fiercely independent. He's dead now. He's with Jesus. But he birthed this thing fiercely, like autonomously. And it's almost like Jesus is doing something with us now. We, church history is full of mess ups. Jesus is here. And <laughs> I think that's kind of, in a sense, it's kind of true, but mostly that's disastrous because it's, it's, uprooting, it's uprooting us from our family in a way that leads ultimately to some kind of deconstruction for all of us. When we realize Christianity has been received, it's like an ongoing love conversation between God and his family. And it started way before 1968 in the Jesus movement. It's like, whoa, you mean Jesus is in the Anglican church? Jesus is in the Orthodox Catholic Roman. Jesus is in the Vatican. Jesus is in the Anabaptist tradition. And Jesus is really, really moving in the majority world for every one, you know, Western, urban, educated, deconstructing individual, there's five brown-skinned, female, poor, um, non-English-speaking, never had an iPhone or read your blog or listened to a podcast, but are flocking to Jesus uh, in explosively in the world. Like, what is that from? That's not from, you know, American missionaries. That's the Spirit of God in those contexts bringing the reality of Jesus into communities all over the world in places where, honestly, Christians are most persecuted for their faith. And, and so what is that all about? And so that kept me in the family, trusting that this gospel witness is true. It's just being misrepresented by, honestly, I, I mean, I, I hate to throw this guy under the bus one too many times in the same conversation, but this, the, the, the Ken Ham line where he, you, you, you can be a Christian and disagree, but just know you'll be a Christian who's, disagree, who's disagreeing with God. It's like, whoa, that, that, that's actually textbook fundamentalism, um, the kind of thing that keeps people from the Jesus that is moving in the world and has historically been moving in the world through his humble church. Um, so I, I, had to, I had to jump the tracks. I had to go to Portland to be a part of a, a new community to me that I could submit to and respect that was orthodox, because I do believe we can't believe alone. No one can believe alone, which is why the guys who fork, you mentioned the folks who fork off, um, we're, 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 we're questioning authority, we're questioning the Bible, we're questioning Christianity, but there's this decisive moment when some folks I know have, have chosen to leave the faith or leave orthodoxy. And I think that's, it's, it's really hard to leave orthodoxy unless you want to. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. If you want to, you will. If you want to. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like the way that you put, uh, put it too. I think it's really astute to uh, mention that you know, you and I together probably have a combined experience that covers conversations with a lot of different people who are deconstructing or have deconstructed or have been through the process and come out one side or the other. We're still only two guys with our own narrow experiences. Totally. But even so, um, 
in my experience, and I'm guessing based on that observation that you made, yours as well, it does seem as if, sure, there are people whose deconstruction journey takes them to something like atheism or, or, or pronounced agnosticism, but more often than not, the deconstruction journey takes them to a kind of um, ambiguous spirituality that wants desperately to preserve in it Jesus somehow. Jesus in mm-hmm. quotation marks. Jesus kind of sidled up beside Eastern mysticism or some kind of other right. religious perspective or a, a yeah. kind of crock pot of, I like the I like some components of this. I like the blog I read on this. This one dude told me this is yeah. pretty cool. And I like some of the stuff Jesus said. I mean, who doesn't like some of the stuff Jesus said? Um, and so th- what they're really deconstructing is not necessarily... Uh, religious faith altogether they're deconstructing orthodoxy and they're moving beyond the bounds of um, the ap- the historic apostolic Jesus movement into a kind of personal pan spirituality that has Jesus as a topping has that yeah. been has that been oh your yeah. observation as well yeah I think it's I think it could be helpful to just very briefly define orthodoxy in a in a preliminary way like base level God is not the universe. You know, it's like base, base level. Orthodoxy. So that's a lot of deconstruction spirituality gone. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. That's so much. The God is other than the universe. God is the creator of the universe. He's not the universe. And you would, I was shocked when I, I actually tweeted that last month and I just said, hot take, God is not the universe. You would have thought I lit a dumpster fire in front of the Pentagon. (laughs) Um, So whatever networking I had done with folks that are spiritually exploring alternate orthodoxies, a.k.a. heterodox or heresies, whatever relationships I had with them, those bridges were getting burned, like, with that one tweet. Based on that singular, simple statement. There was so much... Not so much the tweet. I think it was when I put it on Facebook. So there are a lot of people... Who are like, how do you know? How dare you dishonor people's stories? I'm like, dishonor what in the world? people's I, stories. Yeah, uh, because because that that has been, according to one uh, deconstructing podcaster who responded to that Facebook message, that has, seeing God as synonymous with the universe has provided healing for many who received orthodoxy as part of their church that hurt them. And, um, and my gosh, I, I never want to minimize church hurt ever. Like as a pastor in the wake of the failure porn podcast, that is rise and fall of Mars Hill. Uh, I, I never want to, I never want to be a place that, um, makes people feel unheard or treated mistreated. So I, I want to give voice to those who've experienced church. And I'm sure you've experienced church hurt yourself. You, you've grown up in the church. You've been through it. You, sure, surely you have your own like uh, trauma from church and growing up in a Christian family. I think all, I would say all my hurt has come from the church. <laughs> That's I've lived in it all my life. I have my whole community has been in the church, but I will at the same time say that my, my hurt pales in comparison to the stories I hear from many who are struggling to find a home in the church. Um, so I, I, I always want to validate that, always want to validate that, truly. Um, at the same time, God is not the universe. 
Yeah, you'd so think I, this I, is a given. I, th- I well, I, I want to, I want to say both and. I want to be a church that's both and, um, not not an either or spirit, but a both and spirit. That's my main, my main, my main thing that I see. My main concern with folks that uh, continue so far down the progressive path that they end up in theological liberalism is is they become very either it seems to be a very either or mindset like god is so mysterious god cannot be described with language god cannot be a person god cannot be anything other than the universe i'm like whoa 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 yes god cannot be adequately expressed with human language that's an ancient doctrine called his ineffability we cannot adequate he's he's not adequately summed up with a masculine pronoun he 100 percent. and yet we have language for him he cannot be adequately summed up, and yet we have language. So, so both are true, both. And, and the same thing, like Jesus is, you know, the most God-conscious human that's ever lived. Jesus is the embodiment of virtue and his way of justice and, and his dismantling of sexist patriarchal norms and all of that. Absolutely. Yes. And Jesus possessed the two natures uh, of both fully God and fully human, both, like, yes. Uh, and, and he's the begotten of the Father, second person of the Trinity. It's both are true. What, what, what I see deconstruction leading to when, when it looks in the progressive Christianity form, all the way down that slope into legit theological liberalism, which is this 200-year-old movement in the church, is this really, like, tight, tight either-or binary like God has to be indescribable, therefore non-existent, or He's evil or something. Or Jesus has to be this human who would just be pure love and acceptance, um, or or He's or He's not or or He's non-existent. But but He's He's both fully human and and fully empathetic and the God that is confessed by our family for 2,000 years. Both are true. Um, I, I want both. Like, I, I, I see, I, I, I almost see, you know, that, that theological liberalism as being a, a new fundamentalism of its own. And I'm like, let's, let's not be so binary with it. wanted to ask you about that concept of fundamentalism because what you're describing to me and yes is social media at least in my personal perspective I don't mean to speak for Evan is an irredeemable cesspool <laughs> and you're not going to find the most level-headed or nuanced conversation uh, certainly on Facebook I'm assuming based on the s- stories of you and other people so yeah it's not necessarily the greatest sample size for empathetic nuanced conversation that said 
that experience of saying something and when I, earlier when I said you'd think that was a given I didn't mean you'd think that was a given in terms of everyone should believe that I meant you'd think that that would be a given coming from you Evan Wickham mm. you know oh. who <laughs> who is a uh, a known pastor and Christian and you know like musician that if you were to say something, put something out there in the world, for even from social media, that says as, as simplistic as God is not the universe, well, yeah, people can not like that you said that, but you'd think they'd also kind of shrug their shoulders and say, like, well, yeah, yeah, obviously he believes that. that that's a given. He, he takes that belief for granted. And yet it ignited this um, take it for, taking it for granted or not kind of firestorm of people who were deeply offended. You, and you mentioned earlier the Ken Ham line that you um, described as textbook fundamentalism. You know, early on making music, it was the um, fundamentalism on the right that was deeply offended by everything that I felt like I had to say musically or do. And they said, you know, like, it wasn't just, we don't like this. It was, this has to be silenced. This shouldn't exist. These artists need to be quiet. And this art should be censored. And now that exact same sentiment has simply, you know, like migrated from the right to the left. And it's the exact same sentiment, especially in the conversation around art and creativity, where it's not just enough to say like, well, you know, we fundamentally disagree with what this artist has to say. Now it's this artist needs to be silenced. This art should not exist and it Mm. needs to be censored. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know that anybody was saying to you per se that you needed to be censored on Facebook, but you know, the idea of being so tragically wounded by a statement like God is not the universe. Um, it strikes me that fundamentalism, um, it, it's ironic that fundamentalism births deconstruction in some kind of uh, grotesque way, but then also um, incubates a new fundamentalism. It it seems to me that despite the fact that deconstruction promises a nebulous, um, all-inclusive spirituality, it can't possibly make good on that promise and instead does a bait and switch and offers a new fundamentalism instead on the the other side of the aisle, so to speak, the theological aisle, however you want to describe it. Has that been your experience in these same conversations? Is that what you went away thinking to some degree after that Facebook post? I did. It was the inability for people to, I don't know, maybe, maybe I need to spend more time with them in person. Facebook is a horrible place to discern motive, but it seemed like there was a, an inability um, in people to, yeah, to see where I was coming from, to see where my ideology was coming from. As you said, it shouldn't surprise anyone that someone who is orthodox believes God is other than the universe, that there's a creator-creature distinction. And, and yeah, the pendulum swings, fundamentalism begets fundamentalism, and, and I have seen that, and I, I see it in myself. I feel like, you know, I just finished preaching on Revelation 11. We're going through Revelation, of all books, <laughs> you know, having spoken about Revelation. <laughs> and, and, and so our church is unpacking it, and, and I, I hope it's illuminating for people. It seems to be one of those series where I, you're a pastor. You know when you preach a series, and there's certain, there's certain ones that seem to generate like a buzz of enthusiasm and buy-in and vision. And, oh, my gosh, this is the need of the hour. This is one of those series for us. And we got to the passage in the middle, which is the two witnesses. Um, there's two witnesses that 
show up seemingly out of nowhere in the apocalyptic vision that Jesus gives John while he's exiled on the island of Patmos. And in this vision, there's two witnesses that rise up and, and they, they, speak, they, they speak their story, really. They give their testimony. That's what a witness does in court. They give the testimony and it says their testimony torments their city. Um, their city, the kings and the, the, the folks that align themselves with the power centers of the city, whether it's ideological power centers or m- money or whatever, it says the whole city was tormented by the testimony of these witnesses. And their testimony was obviously this lamb that was slaughtered is the center of the universe and he's really good. He's really good. So rethink anything that's not centered on the lamb because you're going to want to be part of this good thing. And that testimony torments <laughs> um, the, the, the city, the great city. And, and it says the city is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt and Jerusalem where the Lord was crucified. So it's like, it's any city. It's any culture built around um, systems or ideologies that are counter to whatever this lamb is all about. And, and this, this lamb is obviously Jesus, and, and, and he wants to save the world through self-giving. Like, you know, John looks to see a lion, this slaughtering lion, violently devouring and winning arguments on Facebook, but Jesus sees not a lion, but this lamb that is willingly crucified on social media. <laughs> You know, um, who's willingly slaughtered and dispensing forgiveness and love, which is a challenge for me to do. And, and through doing that, he's reigning. He's actually reigning through this, allowing himself to be slaughtered. And, and the two witnesses are the same. They're reigning with Christ by just telling the, the lamb story. And it's tormenting uh, people who have, who have seen the lamb and yet refuse for whatever reason. We all have our reasons. Maybe we're pledging allegiance to the beast of the American flag, or we're pledging allegiance to the beast of my, my own authentic desires over gods or whatever. Um, but whatever, we hear, we hear the, lamb, the lamb is good, and he's worth our time and our talent and our treasure. We hear that, we hear that and it torments. Um, I know that's, that's a harsh picture, but that's a picture Jesus gave John on an island. And I think it paints... An, an interesting kind of template for how to how to put this whole thing called deconstruction. I think deconstruction is that part of that great city, part of the Sodom, part of the Egypt, and part of the, the Jerusalem that crucified Christ. Deconstruction is a city, uh, and and there's a there's a bestiality to it. There's almost what John Tyson calls a a spiritual a spiritual personality behind it. And, you know, I'm not a demon is under every bush kind of guy. You and I were both kind of cut our teeth under the same, yep. you know, Dr. Bashir's, who's like not a demon. We're not you know, scared of demons or whatever, but, but, but we do believe there's more to reality than there seems to be. Yes. And so behind, behind this, you know, God, I'll say God is not the universe. It's, it, it's that statement, I think, cut straight, like direct, it cuts directly. Um, into the into the heart of the deconstruction movement and and um because if there if there is a lamb who was slaughtered to save 
in the center of the universe. If there's a lamb at the center, then, then everything should bow, everything. Um, and there's actually a family that's really old. 144,000 is a metaphorical number for this really big, really old family <laughs> that has seen the lamb and has said, worthy, worthy is he. I'm, I'm, I'm being made worthy by this lamb who's ultimately worthy. That's the best news ever. And so we confess with this family. I don't believe alone. I believe with 144,000. I believe with this giant, giant number of, of saints brothers and sisters, that, that nothing is the center of the universe. Not me or America or Trump or Biden. I mean, nothing is the center except this lamb. I believe I receive that. If you don't receive it, 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 is, it is felt as torment by you if you don't receive that. And that's, you know, the modern version of that is modernist deconstructionism, which came out of the Enlightenment. Thank you, Jung and all you, all those guys. Um, who knows what it'll be? I think, you know, I do think, you know, as Christianity kind of numerically shrinks in the West, you know, the two witnesses in the book of Revelation, they die for three and a half days, which is a relatively short period of time because it's all these years, these symbols of years in Revelation. It's like, but the two witnesses get killed by the beast of social media. They get killed <laughs> for three days, three and a half days, and then they rise again. And, and we're going to witness you know, this thing called Christianity, it's, 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 it's trying to be deconstructed. People are trying to pick it apart. And if we stay in our little Western bubble, we, uh, we will, we, it seems like it's dying, but it's just three days. It's just a matter of time. It's a matter of time um, before our kids, maybe our grandkids witness what they're already witnessing in the majority world right now. Um, just a massive return to a simple trust in the lamb that was slain, Christianity is indestructible. I, I think Jesus was right when he said Christianity is indestructible. Uh, it's actually made to succeed through apparent failure. So um, I'm, I'm really excited for what this moment means for the not so distant future. Yeah, and I love the way that you put that. I mean, that's a really punk rock thing to say that Christianity is indestructible. Um, if if you were to have a conversation with that self all those years prior that was on that um, journey of, uh, you know, maybe not deconstructing proper, but was at least flirting with deconstruction that was intrigued. There was a siren song and you heard it and you were looking at the off ramp and you felt that pull. Um, There's innumerable people uh, that, have heard the song, taken the ramp, are hearing the song now, or are, are aware of they have people in their lives in that same, you know, Christianity, the movement, the size of the movement, even just in our little corners of the Western world, there's no one hearing this that doesn't know someone who has or is deconstructing, if yeah. it's not them themselves. Um, what do you think it was? Uh, I know that you could give me an incredible uh, essay-like answer um but what do you think it was in the in the simplest terms that um made you uh, turn back to the way and go i'm not i'm not taking the off ramp and then you continued to make that decision again and again many times over the years and and here you are with all this perspective looking back on years of what you would describe as you know i'm sure there was immaturity and there was spiritual formation to be done but 
you're still part of the, that family, that enormous family, and you're saying Christianity is indestructible. Um, what would you say to that version of yourself that this is, this is the thing or a part of the thing that keeps you there? What would you say to the person looking at the off-ramp? Yeah, well, I, I would quickly add to that Christianity is indestructible sentiment that it could absolutely die in a certain area. The two witnesses died. They were dead. Like Christianity in America maybe should die in an apparent way. Like in a visible way, it could very much cease to exist by any metric. Um, you know, the, the churches Jesus gave that vision to in Turkey, all they're not there anymore, you know. So, so when I say Christianity is indestructible, I mean the global yeah, movement absolutely. of the family. So, so that's important. So, so, you know, right now, yeah, it, it makes sense to take the off-ramp in America. The way evangelicalism has misrepresented Jesus, the way evangelical, the, the name itself is, has engendered so much political hostility is well-deserved because of its... Um, of its worship of the beast. Even the American evangelical church worshiping power, um, partnering with political power players in the 80s and 90s, like, you know, the, the Jerry Falwell seniors, and then Dobson, Reagan, the whole moral majority thing. And, and then people start reading their Bible through the lens of republicanism. That needs to die, uh, absolutely in order for the real thing to rise. And it will. It will. I think I, I, the right stuff should be deconstructed. And I think it takes a community to deconstruct well. That's my short, so my short answer, it takes a community to deconstruct well. And, uh, and that, that line I got from A.J. Swoboda. Um, and, and, and I also knew you, you can't believe alone. If I wanted to be an atheist, there's a really easy, there's an easier way to become an atheist, and it's to believe along with atheists. If I want to be a Buddhist, there's an easy way to become one. You believe along with Buddhists. Um, that's just how humans work. We, we, we speak disparagingly of herd mentality, um, but we can't escape it. Um, so that also means we can't judge a belief system based on... <laughs> based on how many people believe it around us. We have to judge it based on the merits of the belief sets themselves. And you know, having done the hard work of exploring Christianity itself, I don't think I need to explore every other ideology out there to know Christianity is true. Um, I just need to know why Christianity is what it is for myself, along with the community. And for me, that was enough. You can't believe alone. You can't believe alone. You can't believe anything alone. So um, whatever you decide to believe together with other believers, um, the next step is to, I would say, test it against reality. And as best I could, Christianity like passes every reality test in, with flying colors. Um, yeah. So I, I remember going to Saudi Arabia and... It occurred to me, walking through the streets of Dammam in my white Saudi robe and my big beard, people thought I was a Syrian. And they're like, Islam is good, Allahu Akbar, yes? And I'm like, oh yeah, good to meet you, I'll take some. And I was in the shops and they thought I was 
just a Muslim tourist from the West. And, uh, and I remember thinking, if my parents were not white Christian hippies, <laughs> but brown Wahhabi Muslims, I would like 100% be a Muslim today right now <laughs> if I was here in Saudi. And, and, and that just occurred to me, 100%. And my second thought was, there, your, your place of origin has no bearing on whether your belief set is true, period. That's not what, that's just, so, so in, in that moment, I was no longer afraid or ashamed of the fact that I was raised by Christians, grew up with Christians, because that has no, no bearing on whether it's true or false. Um, so that's kind of a meandering way of, of answering the question very directly. You, you can't believe alone, so I believed with believers. It takes a community to deconstruct well, and I love Brian Zahn's uh, analogy of a house. Uh, and and his I don't know if you're going to interview him for this he he's amazing, but like my eschatology if my house is my Christianity my theology, my 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 eschatology wing like the the study of the last times that had to be decimated <laughs> and rebuilt and and my like my creation and origin wing that one had to be like severely renovated, uh, my Christology room. It didn't change much. I think it got better furniture, but it, none of the walls had to be blown out. Um, and I did that with the community. I'm, I did it with, with the community. And I'm still doing it. I'm still, I'm still renovating, learning, staying curious. I'm Joshua S. Porter, and my book, Death to Deconstruction, is out now. Next week, I'll be talking to my friend Stephen Christian about the breakdown of the American Christian music machine. I mean, early on, man, early on, we were out of the Christian scene. I just, you know, I think for me, going to the, the, the Dove Awards and the CMAs right away or Christian music, some Gap GMAs or something like that, some, some, and like we walked around and it was gnarly, Josh. Like it just felt like, oh my gosh, like these people are selling Jesus. If you want to give me a hand with this whole author and book thing, there's a few ways that you can really help. One, buy a copy of Death to Deconstruction. Two, tell other people about it by posting it on your social media outlets. Three, leave the book a good review on Amazon.com. Four, follow along with the Death to Deconstruction podcast and leave it a good review on the Apple Podcast app. And finally, follow along on social media for more updates. If you have any questions for our upcoming Q&A episode, you can leave them at joshuasporter.com slash question.